Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Daniel, the CEO uh, at Daslav. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Hello. It's, it's really a pleasure, and uh, I'm really impressed by the, the track records and, uh, and, and, the, and the journey so far. And I'm sure that it will be a very interesting uh, episode for, for the community and looking forward to, to have fun uh, with you during this episode. So let's, let us know more about, about you and, uh, and Dazlav. Sure. So, so I'm Daniel. I'm a bit of a healthcare animal. So I started my career in more on the industrial side. So working for Siemens Health in the years, Medtronic. And the more and more uh, I moved into entrepreneur, ship and then we founded us lab in 2020 where we saw a big need not just because of covid to be honest already before longer before that access to lab testing is something that is not trivial and where many predominantly digital health providers want to get access to health testing to medical testing and this is exactly what we do so in summary built stripe for diagnostics that's what does lab is that's incredible and uh, definitely uh, as a patient i can see uh, all the hurdle if i want to go from to one lab uh, one time and to another lab then i i can't have the labs the the lab tests on in the same place then i need to show the same lab tests and send into different uh, professionals so it, it can definitely be a, a nightmare so i i really resonate with the problem uh, that that you are solving and 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 let us know more about the solution. So how, how are you solving uh, that problem? So in general, we're solving it. It's a platform model. So in, in a super simplistic model, it's we're connecting the demand side of, of testing. So the provider side with the supplier side. So that means with the sample takers, phlebotomists and the labs and logistics providers. And we sit in the middle with a tech platform that connects those parties with each other. That's basically what it is. And the whole product behind it is API first. So that means, you know, we're really API driven because most of those providers want to have their own user experience, but we have this strong tech as a core. That's what we are. Got it. It's much more the infrastructure is on your side, yes. but they still have the kind of the front exactly. office and their brand uh, intact, let's say. Exactly. Got it. So the, the main ICP, is it kind of a marketplace or is it, uh, is it mainly the, the labs that are your clients uh, at this stage? Mm, it's, how do I say, we have, we have both. So I, we're building it more driven by the demand. So that means more okay. by the provider side. They want to get okay. this access and they want to get access to countrywide testing oftentimes. And that's something that you don't get, but we see that labs are highly interested in entering into new fields of growth where they, based on their technology stack, on how should I say, their archives, the systems, also their, their current business logic, what they have, where it's not easy to integrate with them. So they more and more understand that we are a strong partner for them, but it's more driven by the demand side. So by the providers. Got it. Sounds sounds great. And uh, in terms of geographies, you are now present in Germany and uh, and Spain, right? Correct. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Germany, well, Germany is a home market. All we found is we love complexity and healthcare is complex and Germany as a healthcare right. system is complex, but it's big. Spain, we love. It's a market that is, I would say, sometimes a bit, although we are in the same regulatory environment, it's easier to drive innovation. It has a strong market size and the problem in some ends is even bigger. So there's even more paper involved on, on several ends. So that's why we right. also love Spain quite a lot. Got it. Sound, sounds great. And definitely uh, Spain is an interesting market also with the connection with uh, with LATAM as well. But we can discuss it a, a little bit later in, sure. in the podcast when we go through the uh, kind of the expansion strategy uh, lessons. And of course, any entrepreneur when is considering to, to start a company and, to, and even to scale a company, it's important to have clear um, the the, the different segments that we might want to attack from the overall um, TEM. So, and, and also the timing, right? So the, the timing is something very difficult to, to crack. Uh, so why, why do you think this is the right timing to, to solve this, this problem? You know, I think many factors play a role here. So number one is, you know, look at telehealth, telemedicine providers. They've been starting 10 years mm -hmm. ago. But suddenly we had COVID and what happened in COVID, you know, suddenly we had an exit problem to healthcare. And those providers, they immediately saw massive growth in numbers. And of course, they're strongly limited of what they can provide to their patients. So what they are all looking for is access to diagnostics, because I think one number that is in, interesting for everybody listening to this podcast is that 70% of medical decision making is driven by or influenced by medical lab results. 70%, you know, it's a huge it's number. Yeah. And if you look at healthcare provision, you know, at the moment, it's not yet fully digital. And those providers who found it 10 years ago, they now see a strong opportunity to expand their service offering. And there's a need and there are, there's this massive growth in that industry happening at the moment, driven by COVID. So COVID was a positive shock, I would call it. Absolutely. to the healthcare ecosystem. And, and definitely this is also one of the issues uh, in the industry because there, there is a temptation to prescribe uh, some drug or medication before seeing what is going on uh, on a deeper level with, uh, with the person that is in front of us. So sometimes even the 70% uh, is low compared to what it should be, right? So there is still a huge opportunity to even expand more uh, yeah. the time yeah. there. <laughs> and to connect it, you know, so the, the one thing is we start digital, you know, those providers, they, they're tech savvy, you know, they, they love to think bold, they want to cover a market. Um, but definitely we see a strong need also for more classical providers, you know, that expand maybe into telemedicine, but up classical GPs or specialists. If I look at Spain or Germany, I see those developments, look at Abi Medical in Germany, you know, look at what Dr. Lip is doing, you know, they're strongly growing into first, uh, actually first screen solutions in front of the doctor. And they're all going to be, I should say, uh, challenge soon with how do I integrate with that lab? It's not just this lab integration. So it's more about this, how can I, you as a patient, Mike, you know, how do you walk across along a path? And, you know, at the moment, a lot of paper stuff, this is what we solve. 
Yeah, and typically receiving the lab tests over email and forwarding. forwarding at best, uh, at best, if you don't <laughs> receive it, if you there are still there are still great opportunities to receive it via letter or fax, if you want. Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> still, still I'm already the in the email version, and it's it's definitely a nightmare. And some of the emails come with a PDF with a password. Some of them. Uh, no, so yeah, I, I've seen a lot of and, versions of this. And one thing maybe more important, so let's assume you know, we, we would overcome this hurdle. Every lab has, has a certain lab information system. That coding philosophy behind it is not unified. So right. even if you would take one lab result from one lab and the second one from the second, you cannot technically, if you want to automize, you know, if you want to build a longitudinal trend, you cannot simply merge them. It does not work. So a very strong yes. core of the need and also, you know, that the market that we are addressing is this interoperability piece of the platform. That means we are unifying these standards. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, to those new providers, we always deliver, you know, fire, loink, and snowmate-based uh, snowmate uh, data. But we, we know, so to say, the labs are super fragmented, super archaic. They don't have that, but we are this unifying platform in the middle for this. So that's, there's a strong tech piece to that. I imagine. Uh, I would say that that's, that's the nightmare and also the moat of uh, what you are building, Correct. right? So then, Correct. That, that's what keeps you awake at night. But at the same time, if you solve that piece, uh, that's great because it's 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 very difficult for other players to to compete with you, right? Correct, correct, exactly. That's the mode. <laughs> so, and and what is the big dream in in the in the long term? Where where would you like to see uh, Daslav in in five years? Let's say five years in healthcare is pretty short, to be honest. <laughs> that's my personal view. But, but let's uh, say the next ten years. <laughs> yeah. So so. Mm, so the way I look at it, first of all, let's solve this infrastructure problem. I think if we do great, there is a massive value add in itself. But for sure, you know, if we, if, let's assume we go into a market, we have, you know, different tasks in different sectors of care operated by us ultimately. What we then suddenly can do is we can connect the dots. That means, you know, we can standardize, we can unify those test results. We can build a longitudinal data trend for you, Mike, for example, on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And what then comes next is if you have a very strong data standard behind it, what you can then do is you can use AI and other, you know, machine learning and so on to offer clinical decision support because our motivation mine, but also from other co-founders is we want to increase better the outcomes of the, of the patients. And we truly believe that this will happen by connecting the dots along a pathway and taking really knowledge out of longitudinal trends, which is super important for lab testing. And this is where I guess we can play a role where we can also be a partner for other innovative companies coming in that space and looking for an infrastructure to plug into, to then run their algorithms. It does not necessarily have to be all proprietary DAS lab uh, IP, but we have to, the infrastructure to plug in and to run this. That's the dream, I guess. And to offer ultimately doctors better basis for medical decisions. I love it. So that that's definitely a, a, a great vision and almost being able to predict or advise um, how 
how how patients of a, a certain segment uh, get better, or what typically when you show those values on 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 lab tests, maybe you might have this condition, or you maybe that there is a lot of opportunities there. I'm not sure. Big one, if I may, you know, a big one is, for example, look at look at, for example, we look at the moment heavily into like population health management. Mm -hmm. Like, if you think about um, cancer prevention, look at the way it's right. performed at the moment. You know, look at the different kinds. You know, which is test heavy. We just saw numbers from health insurance companies, big ones, which are doing, which you think are doing big, but they have compliance rates in the high, lower tens. You know, so that means that means there are like 80 90 percent of the of the cohort are not covered so i think what we can add to that is but this takes longer is really managing as a, a cohort you know for example in the prevention space better more efficient you know and and deliver also a, a data set which then ultimately can help also science and in R&D driven companies to then hopefully build, you know, for example, better pharmaceuticals and so on. So this is for me also personally a very long-term vision of the company, but we have to start this today because there are long lead times for that. And, and what do you think is the, the mid-term uh, vision for, for the company? First of all, mid-term vision is we want to be the market leader in Europe. That means we want to, we want to be the, the first uh, and the leading vendor neutral platform or infrastructure platform for medical testing in Europe first. I think that's uh, until 2025, that is realistic. And then let's see, you mentioned other markets we can discuss later, but Europe is our core for sure. So, and of course we could, we couldn't uh, talk about any startup or scale up without uh, discussing the initial stages and building the team and uh, the founding team is really uh, what matters for a, for a startup and, and later for a scale up, it's all about the, the leadership team uh, with all respect, of course, to the overall team. But if, if the leadership is, is not in place and setting a good culture and a good example, it would be difficult to attract the best uh, into, into the company. So in general, we always say that we should have, uh, if we have two co-founders, we should have a business person and a more technical um, technology person in digital health there is this extra complexity that we also need to have someone who knows the the medical um, side what's your view and what uh, what was the way that you build your own founding team for for das lab and what are your tips for other digital health companies that you have been um, speaking with that's a good one so if you look at our at our current operational founding structure that's three people so it's me you know driving more the strategic initiatives, you know, setting the vision, but driving the commercial side, the business development with a strong background in understanding the regulatory and the reimbursement landscape, not just in Germany, but in Europe. We have a product uh, lead, uh, Jeremy, our co-founder, he's leading all product related topics. That does not just mean, you know, the design user experience of it, but also, also the, the regulatory piece of it. So both of us, you know, we've been, get certified, you know, a, a class to a digital medical device in our previous company. So I think this knowledge is great to have because healthcare is complex and digital health as well. And we have a tech person who predominantly comes more from a consumer background, but that is great in terms of thinking because, you know, the 
healthcare oftentimes things very limited in terms of cloud and stuff like that you know and you know if you look at consumer in the consumer world it's all standard so i think merging this all together you know and baking something in a highly regulated environment is definitely i guess for us a, a strong key for success that we have those three different characters in the team um and etienne our cto for example i think is serial cto founded already you know six companies so this is an experience wow. great to have in the team and we have a non-operational founder who was there in the in the onset he's part of the board Bjorn von Siemens you know he's a long-standing um you know health digital health entrepreneur since 10 years so both of us you know we've with the two of us the, the idea was born and we love this complexity but we also don't underestimate this complexity in healthcare so I, I think this is the, the dream on the one side, the vision, you know, to dream big, but understanding what are limitations, I always call this the red lines and sailing very closely to those red lines. Having that in the team, at least for that lab, I can say this is, we have those characters and this is, I think, the key success criteria, maybe also for others. Got it. And it's really impossible. And I think that with digital health, this becomes even more difficult to have all the ads on, on the founding team. In, in that case, we would need to have almost six, seven, eight, eight people in the founding team, which is uh, too much. But the good news is that we can have, as you said, uh, an advisory board. We, we can have um, yeah. not only the advisors, but also key employees later uh, also with, uh, with equity uh, that we can attract later. It also helps to be a a small team in the beginning to make it easier to to align on strategic decisions and to and to go faster yeah we combine this in the beginning i mean we combine this you know as business angels and senior advisors we have for example former c-suite members of big, big lab groups you know in in europe part of the advisory board they joined month number three where we just you know phrased out a bit the vision and so on you know they were already on board the guys you're exactly on the right thing so we have those super seniors and for sure, once you come at a certain growth stage, and I guess we somewhat hit that line, it's about how do you scale the founders? It's exactly what you were saying. Hire great people who can take away also the limitation that we simply have of being a bottleneck. And we understood very early that we have to hire right. great people, basically, and we don't say on levels, but you know, we hire great people around us, which then form the leadership team of the company to really drive this. Absolutely. Uh, and there is something that I know that you really enjoy to, to talk about, which is uh, nowadays we have a lot of unicorn, unicorns out there. And given the complexity of the um, uh, elf uh, space, uh, it might be, uh, it might take a little bit more time in order to achieve the same kind of uh, vision. Um, so what what are your views in terms of uh, attracting talent uh, who wants to stay uh, not only for one or two years but for the long run in a digital health um, venture? I think first of all, so we 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 very early on we invested quite a bit of thinking into what is our what are our core values, you know. And of course, if you're in a healthcare, it's very strong purpose driven, impact driven. And that what we understand from people that's very attractive to them. So as we speak today now, you know, in May 20, 
2022, you know, it's, we realized people also, for example, from this super fast moving consumer world, there was something, something happened in the last years. I don't know if it's healthy, but others should look at that. But we realized there are people out there who want to do something more that, that is more, more impact driven, purpose driven. Those people yeah. we want, those people we incentivize in the way. So that means also we incentivize them with virtual shares, you know, with a certain vesting period. But we have explicitly many people who actively say, guys, if I come on, then I really want to be here for the long run. And you see it from the CV. They don't hop from company to company. They've been staying, staying somewhere three, four, five years, and then they came to us. Of course, then they are more senior. We're happy to have more senior people in the team. We also pay them nicely, I guess. But they get this, this virtual component on top. With that, so far, we haven't lost somebody. Yeah, of course, we had to let go some people which we don't which we thought were not the right fit for the company but there was nobody who left the company so far and i think that's a that's a very strong proof point of our strategy and the sector we're in sounds great daniel and um, in terms of ad count where 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 are you now currently we have 45 people um not all of them fixed hired so we also have have uh, techies, you know, for example, with us since since two years on a contract basis. Of course, we also have a team that still does COVID. So that's like a BU in the company. There's like six, seven people in the company that only solely focuses on this one. Um, but we have to plan to grow a little bit more. But I think we are quite big for a seed stage company already. So it's okay. Definitely. That's that's quite impressive. And, and uh, jumping into almost the uh fundraising uh, topic into that in that perspective you just raised in uh, 7.1 million uh, seed rounds um, how has been your experience in terms of fundraising so uh, we were discussing just how that that is important to attract talent that is in the venture for the long run the long run was connected with the purpose of the company uh, what has been your experience on on you know choosing investors to to be your partners and and understanding what are the investors that understand mm -hmm. well the the industry and and the speed of the industry yeah first of all there is always the, the question how do you want to finance yourself and i think there are different strategies number one is bootstrapping yeah. number two if you don't take external investors on board is you know either you go the vc route if you want to take attract you know a lot of uh, of 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 money or you go to strategy strategic investors we decided to go down the vc route mm -hmm. and that is important for some talent also because if you get strong investors on board who have really domain knowledge in that area that in itself is already a confirmation of of the i should say of the of the attractiveness of attractiveness of the industry and talent is looking for that and so i, I wouldn't say you know we selected at the end the vcs for that basically in that light but it was a certain for us decision factor and that's why we have now an an investor board that is that is you know uh, comprising quite strong investors in that digital health space so they know the space they know the 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 the, the timelines also they know it takes a bit longer than two years to exit and stuff like that or achieve unicorn so that was important to us because we want to align these different timelines also externally, what we then try to do internally. 
Perfect. And would you would you add any other lessons to to founders who are listening to us uh, and considering fundraising in the initial stages of their ventures? I think that's something really interesting here is uh, that you have jumped at the pre-seed uh, rounds and now it's very common for for companies to to raise the uh, pre-seed rounds and i think that that would be interesting to share why did you decide to to go that way well number one you know we found us put cash on the table very early on we took additional risk that's that's one important fact the other thing was we were glad we had a an mvp live after six and a half weeks post foundation and of course, in, in COVID, we had a COVID product um, and that gave us nice cash flow. So that didn't initially drive us, you know, to, to didn't get you know, loads of money in the beginning. So we were able to bootstrap quite a bit. And then we, as, as that was running quite stable, we said, okay, let's then focus really on what we really want to build and have always wanted to build um, if COVID wouldn't have come. And with that, I should say fine-tuned vision then also you know the next evolution of the products that we plan and the strategy behind it then we went fundraising showing already the traction that we have and that brought us ultimately to that nice round that we closed sounds uh, sounds great um in terms of of the process of uh, you know uh, there, there are some entrepreneurs that would um advice to try to compress the fundraising process uh, as much as possible to generate some competition yeah. and also to to make the process uh, smoother uh, yeah. to dedicate less time to the fundraising uh, instead of just going through months and months uh, of uh, of fundraising so what what were your tips there and your approach uh, there in terms of the fundraising process a very good tip uh, we didn't do it this way I would, I would, I would, I would, and I will do it differently next time. Uh, yeah, this is exactly at best. You know, you have a very, you're super prepped. Number one, that's my takeaway and our takeaway. Be super exactly. prepped. Have all the material in the data room. You know, have a clear strategy whom you want to talk with. So have short lists, whatever. Have a timeline and give it a clear start and give it a clear end. You know, and communicate this also. And then have like, you know, a first week of intro calls, you know, let's see who wants to do deep dive calls, who wants to go into DD or in the data room. And if that is not, you know, picking up in terms of numbers, conversion is not good, let's take the next intro round. So keeping that super condensed is also our takeaway um, is something that we definitely want to do going forward. The reason is very simple. My time and our time is super limited. And at the end, we should build a company we should, fundraising should not be our key component of what we're doing we want to spend time with customers we want to develop develop a great product and launch this fundraising is important and should always be fun for the founders it's oftentimes super painful for me i for me personally this pain is also certain fun i get a lot of good back how should I, feedback from from investors but have this planned super crisp I think definitely also to ourselves a key recommendation. That, that's a good point because in, in general, or the typical playbook would say that you would be raising every 18 months, which means that we need to have good metrics uh, in the first 12 months of the 18 months period. So then we can get uh, very well prepared to have, uh, let's say, three months of, uh, of fundraising. 
and still have the three months of uh, oxygen uh, if anything goes wrong and, and we need to find a, a B plan, which is not a, a nice uh, scenario to, to consider. Um, so uh, I forgot where I, where I was going, uh, to, be, to be honest. But I can, I can, I can add to that. So at yeah. the moment, my personal view on the market is last year, markets were super crazy. Last year, the, the 18 months were rather 12. Exactly. So people raised money with a PowerPoint, massive money. I think yeah. this time is gone, not completely, but there will always be, you know, great ventures who can do it. But the, yeah. in the bigger scale, as we saw it, I think this number one is, is I think gone. And um, so that drives us also to, to think more a bit long-termish. Everybody that I speak with at the moment, other co-founders and co-founders, they think of expanding a bit runway. So taking a little bit more time because we do not mm -hmm. know what uncertainty the market environment will bring, everything right. that's happening out there. So I think we're going, we're, that's my impression, we go back a little bit more into that 18 month time period again. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the implication at the moment is also we are super crisp on managing the money. So that means, of course, we also had to let go then to people where we said, you know, they're not super essential going forward. You know, they were great to have, but not long term. So let's look at resources now. And so we are super conscious in cash management and we're also thinking, okay, is it with a comfortable runway and stuff like that? And, and I feel there is not, there's more other founders thinking somewhat aligned. So this fundraising, the, the way of thinking, the timelines and stuff has recently changed a bit again. Yeah. Yeah. What I was saying is really to confirm what you were saying that fundraising um, consumes a lot of energy and focus from the founder. Uh, CEO is typically leading the, the fundraising process. And uh, at the end of the day, as you were saying, uh, we need to keep building the, the company and uh, it, it's, it's difficult to, to do both at the same time. And, and that's why the importance of having a strong team around us, uh, because sometimes the CEO really needs the team to keep building the business while uh, he's focused on, on the fundraising process. And typically with another person or, or, or more helping uh, him or her on, on the process, right? Other thing that we, I see- We have this as well. We also have a founders associate, you know, who is, I think at, at peak time in fundraising, 100% of his time is fundraising. Right. Um, and he's always doing a little bit of that because after the fundraise is before the fundraise. So he takes care of more the operational and now also, you know, stakeholder management, investor management. Yes, but this yeah. having a strong team around you that still the company is growing and the business is building is, I think, also super important. Super important, definitely. So let's let's jump into the expansion strategy that the time is uh, is going on, and uh, there is always so much stuff to to cover. And I like to go deeper into into the topic so we can share as much value as possible with uh, with our listeners. Um, but in terms of expansion strategy, we we were discussing about the angle of uh, of course you started in Germany, 
um, expanded into into Spain. There is also an angle, uh, an angle with LATAM. There is always the big dream in this sector about the the US and other uh, exotic opportunities. So, what's your take and what's your view in terms of considering your geographical uh, expansion uh, in in the case of Dazla? Well, number one, let's first be uh, you know a leader in the in our two markets where we're in. Number one. Number two, we have we work with big partners on supply and demand side, which I think want to grow with us and where we, we want to grow with them. So we have in some contracts that we just signed in the last two weeks already in their you know, regional expansion. Mm -hmm. So what would be natural, UK, France, Italy, those are the big uh, countries in Europe that you may want to look at. But as we are active in Spain, for sure, we we know quite a lot. And also our leader, for example, in leading the, the Spanish market, he has strong experience from Latin. We know that the pain and the need in, in Latin America is quite high. So in terms of language, of course, not in all of them, but think about Mexico, Brazil and stuff, the, the natural extension into those into those countries right. for us is quite natural. U.S. Well, U.S. is, of course, always uh, a topic and we see quite many european also digital health startups think about you know babylon as number one maybe you know who made it over there super super well um is definitely a way to go um but we are always very i should say deliberately deciding you know what is this what also you know what is the pain what can be our solutions a product market fit right. what is competition and something very important for us is we always want to have then people in those countries to start kickstart it and then it mm -hmm. oftentimes depends on finding the right talent to kickstart it because if you're not there our lesson was if you're not there with people we tried it in uk for example and that was right. why we failed in uk in the in, in the early days uh, we didn't have the right people there on the ground so that's my lesson learned but let's first you know do good in the two countries let's scale from there and then the rest uh, i guess will follow the demand that we see at the moment is already super big and also this expansion doesn't stress us at all because in covid we are active i think in 25 countries in europe already so we do loads of business in many many different countries but with that beyond covid product which is the core of the company there we really focus yeah it's this is a really important uh, lesson learned i think that radical focus is super super critical the difficult part is uh, how do we adopt that mindset and how to implement uh, that that mindset and there is always this feeling that we need to uh, increase the the amount of markets that we are uh, playing in because we believe that we will have uh, better results but but that's, you know in health that's in a fear right yeah in health in healthcare the thing is you know it's a bit different you know in consumer it's easier you know but in a highly regulated world in healthcare there are regulations you have to understand them you have to cope with them you have to build some very bespoke oftentimes business model for certain countries so the barrier for entry is quite high that's true. And, and, yeah. and that's why we don't jump on that and of course we also have this all the time and we we, we, we discuss a lot, you know, but at the end, it is really relentless focus on those two countries at the moment. And every day we learn more and more where we thought we already know it in Spain, in Germany, we always learn more and we always get a bigger network. And with that, with the longer sales cycles in healthcare, 
you have to really be deeply linked in those countries. Otherwise, you only scratch the surface somewhere here and there. That's our position. You really great want to point. go deep. Yeah? Definitely. Uh, great points uh, there. And I really enjoyed that you. I was challenging you and, and you were saying Spain and Germany, Spain and Germany. So I think that that's a great, uh, a great attitude and a great attribute for, for a leader. So let's, let's go into the final segment of, uh, of the show where I ask a quick uh, question and uh, you give me a, a quick answer, uh, please. And uh, if you would have the opportunity to meet Daniel uh, in 2020 and have a coffee with him, what advice would you offer to your younger self? In 2020, when we found it, be a bit more bold, take more risk, you know, and have fun in doing that. There is not more, not much in, well, if things go wrong, you can always try to fix them. So simply try it, but have a, how should I say, have a clear, have a strong character also, you know, that is something, and you can somewhat train it a little bit, but be bold and simply try things. Love it. Oh. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Well, that we, at the end, and I look at, briefly at COVID, we delivered more than 700,000 test results in COVID, wow. in a pandemic. So that means, it's not 700,000 people, it's less because we have repetitive tests, but that means we helped quite a substantial number of people to live a healthier and, how should I say, in a healthier life in the midst of a pandemic. That's what I'm absolutely most proud of. Well, the other thing is we're building something that will ultimately help people and will help patients to, to be healthier, to keep them healthy and not even to be you know, in sick care. That is a strong motivation going forward. But this is for all of us in the founding team and the company is a core thing. Deliver value to patients. Super important. Love it. Worst advice ever received? Man, being an entrepreneur? Yeah. Worst advice ever received. That's a challenging <laughs> one. It's a good one. <laughs> ah, <laughs> One guy one told me, you know, he was coming from a big in health, health insurance and he joined a startup on a C-level, C you know, and yeah. he said, you know, look, why do you care about fundraising? It's so super easy. You know, why don't you simply do it? Money is everywhere. I said, okay, seriously, did you raise in your life one single euro <laughs> of VC money? He said, no, but it's easy. I said, seriously, shut up. You have no experience in that, you know, so it's not that easy, but you know, uh, that was for me somewhat the, the, one of the know, craziest moments that I had so far. And that told me a little bit, you know, so people coming, from, he came from corporate, a big corporate, big insurance, you know, he was leading even, you know, a country there. They oftentimes, I think they bring great knowledge into us, but they, they're lagging a little bit the understanding of what it means to be an entrepreneur, to take that risk super early on and to build that company, you know. Oh. It's not, it was not advice, but it alerted me at that time and it made me a bit angry, to be honest. Yeah. And, and it's, it's difficult uh, as a founder to filter what, uh, what can help us and uh, what can't help us or what can confuse us uh, even more. And sometimes we are clear about what needs to be done and we get confused with, uh, with the wrong advice at, 
at the wrong timing. So sometimes it's it's very dangerous. And uh, that's why I ask this this kind of question. So if I may favorites, add, well, I, yeah. I may add my of course, one last thing of course, of course. To that, I try to keep it short. But I'm how should I say? I start beginning. You know, only I talk with a lot of people, but as I said, this trust of people, you know, that can advise us is very important, and that's why the number of people that are really that that I'm also actively reaching out is very small. But I do this. You know, I personally have a coach. You know, this is something for me very personal to grow. Yeah. But also, you know, our seniors and advisors and stuff. So there's a small group that it, where you have to learn, you know, what advice you can get um, and then use them actively. That's the way I try to be, how should I say, stay away from the ones that, that I just mentioned. Exactly. Favorite book? Factfulness. Wow. I need to take that one from, uh, you know, the author. Uh, I have to look it up. It's, okay, a, Swedish, no it's a Swedish so health we'll economist and it's it's super interesting. Do the quiz in the beginning with the monkeys and you're going to see whether you're smarter or not as smart as a monkey. Um, healthcare is, a, we in healthcare know so much, about, so little about the healthcare system where we think we know so, so much about it. Test your knowledge. Um, and the, the whole thing is think, 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 do some calculation, maybe on a sheet of paper, but think, and then just, you know, uh, uh, take your answer and not before. And that's important in healthcare, but it's, that, that shows the complexity of it. Factfulness, super, super nice book. Really enjoying the, the resources segment, always learning and, and finding new resources to, to read. So favorite movie or series? Mm, I must say series it's uh, I try not to watch that much of, of TV but when I'm traveling at, for example I look and I love suits yep. because it's mm, the fun of you know how should I say fun of negotiating you know yep. because negotiations are always a conflict exactly. and if you enjoy that conflict then you're a good negotiator and that's something that I, that, that keeps me oh, oh what did I really like with that Good point. Favorite podcast, excluding uh, this one. Oof. I try not. How should I say? I don't listen too much of to podcasts. I try to really build knowledge. So there is one in Germany that focuses a lot on science. Yeah. Um, and this is. I have to honestly look up exactly what its name is, but they're really like. 45 minutes going into one super specific area like i don't know renewable fuel for planes or something and 45 minutes just around this wow. um so that's i try to listen to stuff that is outside healthcare but innovation driven i think it's svr Vincent or something like that i can watch it up if you want um I, I like that quite a lot perfect thank you uh Daniel, we can always add to. Are you still looking or? It's SVR 2 isn't it? Is it's super German, but God, it's so for for the, for the German listeners, uh, you can follow. I I believe that the, the others it will be difficult for them to yes. find it out. Even if you find it out, then you need to understand German, right? <laughs> what I can what I can recommend next to listening to a podcast is read scientific papers. Got it. Read it. It's super painful, but I did my PhD in corporate finance. So 
but sometimes you have to drill super deep, not just scratch the surface, read a, read a scientific paper from the beginning to the end. That is something really that, that triggers my mind. So I try to rather do that. Awesome. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much for making the time to join us today and sharing your journey so far. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Mike, for having me. And to our community, we keep bringing you the best of the best and inspiring you to make your life a little bit easier uh, starting and scaling up your company. See you soon and keep scaling. Thank you.